Father in heaven, we hear those words so beautifully proclaimed. And we rejoice that you, Holy Spirit, have enabled us to believe that they're true. You've illuminated our hearts and minds to see the cost of this love, what you, Jesus, accomplished in dying for us. Father, what vast love you demonstrated in this, that while we were still sinners, your son, Jesus, died for us. We thank you for this reminder, this season, this time where we can gather. We thank you that people all over the world are doing the same thing, to lift high the name of Christ, recognizing that Jesus alone is the way, the truth, and the life. Father, we've come to this place from many different streams, many different patterns, many different days. Some have been busy and overwhelmed, others have been bored, Others, even in this moment, are extremely anxious, while some are experiencing tremendous peace. But we come as a people desperate for you every time we enter these doors. Every time. And every time we enter, we find your transforming presence offered to us for your glory's sake and our good. So Lord, as we open a familiar passage to many, as we recount the story of you riding this donkey and the people shouting Hosanna, oh Lord, let the words not fall shallow, but press them in deep that we would be transformed again by what we hear and what we see. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. I'm going to begin at verse 45 in Mark 10, and then we're going to move to Mark 11, verse 1 through 10. Jesus speaks, Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now 11, verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Since God created man, he 
created rhythms that would help mankind remember what matters most. For Adam and Eve, it was the Sabbath and God resting and calling them to rest on the Sabbath. As he began to call a people to himself, the people of Israel, he would give them moments in their history, in their calendar, when they were to gather to remember, to be reminded of who he is and what he is doing and what he has done, to reflect upon his faithfulness in times past and his presence even in the moment. God has continued to give his people rhythms that are important to their spiritual health. The Sabbath certainly is one of those, but also are moments like this, Passion Week, Holy Week, a time where we gather, not really to hear anything we hear differently Sunday after Sunday, but just a focus, a time for us to remember the significance of what Jesus has accomplished the Father and the Son, so that we who trust in him could live forever. When when Jesus makes this statement in Mark 10, 1045, he is revealing to us that he knows specifically why he has come. He says, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If anyone ever asks you, why did Jesus come? Go there. It's simple, and it's from his own mouth. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This week, as you drive around and you see white crosses in yards, as you come to this church at noonday or or worship with us online, I want you to remember that verse. These are Christ's words. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. But here's what I want you to know. That ransom was a cosmic ransom. Tim Keller talks about the ransom, setting us free from a cosmic slavery setting us free from a cosmic evil. And therefore, it required a cosmic ransom, something much greater than you and I are tempted to believe, something that we might take our eyes off of as we consider what it means to be pilgrims this side of heaven, sojourners. But what Keller is getting at is the reminder that this world we live in has a battle taking place that you and I can't see, but we certainly feel. That you and I can't fully understand, but we certainly know it exists. Here's how Paul spoke of this world in Ephesians 6. Listen as I read verse 10, Ephesians 6. Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So let me pause. If you're new to our church, you need to know we believe this word to be true in all of it. And so when it speaks of the schemes of the devil, we do believe there is a real devil. He is not omniscient, all-knowing. He's not omnipresent, meaning everywhere present. Only God is. He's not omnipotent, only God is, that means all-powerful. Only God's all-powerful, but he's real. And he tells us in his word, God does, that that enemy roams around like a roaring lion seeking to make your life miserable. 
Is that what it says? No. It says he roams around like a roaring lion seeking to destroy you, to devour you because he's evil and it's a cosmic evil. Paul goes on to say this, verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Cosmic powers over this present darkness. Children, listen to what's being said. This is big. This is far greater than us. It's, it's transcendent far above us, yet we feel it so personally. Verse 12, I'm gonna say it again. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Now listen to the armor. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. It doesn't say you might be able to extinguish them. It doesn't say you might be able to extinguish some of them. It says, which makes us able to extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And then he says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. By the way, the only offensive weapon listed in that armament is this. So why wouldn't that enemy that wants to devour you cause us to wonder if this is really true? If he could knock this weapon out of our hand, what an amazing victory for him. Take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. That's awesome. Every time you see one of these white crosses, every time you hear something this week about the gospel, every time you're reminded that Jesus came and died after living a perfect life for you, for me, for his people, remember it's a cosmic ransom. It is a ransom that had to be given against an evil that is cosmic, that is not just your small little petty life that feels so insignificant. Your life matters. And the warning is that your life matters so much that there's an enemy that wants to devour you, that wants you to minimize the evil, that wants you to call it something else. Moms, dads, that enemy wants your children. Grandparents, he wants your grandchildren. Husband, he, he wants your spouse. Wives, he wants your husbands. Friends, he wants your friend. He wants to devour them so that they wouldn't trust fully and rest fully in Jesus Christ. He wants to devour us, and it's a cosmic evil. It's not just a worldview that's gone awry. It's a cosmic evil that required a cosmic ransom. And so what you hear take place 
as Jesus calls his disciples to bring him a donkey, really happened. It happened because this was necessary for his people to be saved for all eternity. Let's talk about the word ransom for a minute. Jesus said, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. For most of us, when we hear the word ransom, we think of kidnapping. A child is kidnapped, the kidnapper says, this is the ransom. If you will give this amount of money, we will give you back your child. 1996, there was a movie released with that title. The star of the movie was Mel Gibson. Summer before, he had played the role in Braveheart. What a movie. Summer before Ransom, my daughter was born, our first child, in June. Five months later, six months later, we have our first date, me and Christina. She says, I don't care what we do, you plan it. And I did. Dinner and a movie. Dinner was great. And then we went to the movie. And the movie was Ransom. And 10 minutes in, we walked out. We couldn't handle it. We didn't have devices that had cameras watching everything happening in our child's room. The reality of that fictional story was so great to us that we had to leave. We literally couldn't handle it. Jesus Christ did not walk away. It's not a fake story. It's a story where he, in complete obedience to his father, went all the way to the cross because he knew that that ransom was required. The full payment for your sin and my sin and this cosmic evil. This week, as you celebrate Christ becoming that ransom, singing about the price being paid in full, don't miss the Father. As much as I love my children, my love is still imperfect. The Father's love for his Son could never have been improved. Jesus, moving towards the cross, understood what was being asked of him. And so great was the pain inside him that he cried out in the garden, saying, my point is, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. Luke tells us he was shedding blood, sweating blood. And he cried out to the Father, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will be done, but yours. Each day at noon, we'll be talking about Christ as the servant. From this text and into the book of Isaiah. And in that book, we're told in God's word, it was the will of the Father to crush him. So that you could live forever. So that I could live forever. Don't miss the Father during the Passion. Paul says in Romans, God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The word ransom means 
to be free from captivity or punishment by paying a price. A sum of money or other payment demanded for the release of a prisoner. You and I were cosmic slaves. Slaves to the enemy, as Paul says in Ephesians 2. Dead in our trespasses and sins. But Christ made us alive. The only way he could make us alive was by becoming that ransom. So Jesus makes that declaration just after he has told the disciples for the third time that he's going to die. For the third time, with much more specificity, he speaks of the way he's going to die. That he's going to die to the justice system that is unjust. He is going to die as a criminal. He's going to be spit upon and flogged. All these things are spoken. His disciples hear, but don't hear. See, but don't see. In fact, the very next Narrative is the two brothers asking Jesus to do anything they ask. And Jesus says, what would you like me to do for you? Put us next to you, to your right, to your left. That's when Jesus speaks radically about the nature of true servanthood, of a true king. Even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. So then we move into this place of the triumphal entry. You have to see the scene. There are hundreds of thousands, just masses of people that are moving towards Jerusalem for Passover. Along with the people come the lambs that will be sacrificed. You have to imagine the noise of this gathering caravan, this stream that's moving towards Jerusalem that Jesus is part of. And then he gets to this place, 300 feet or so above the city, and you have to understand what Jerusalem looked like. It doesn't look like it does now. If you've been there, you've seen those walls, you've seen pictures. It was massive and glorious. The mosque that you so quickly see when you see that panoramic of the, of the temple area, actually the top of that only came to the bottom door sill of what the temple was. It was massive. Jesus is moving towards Jerusalem. The disciples are confused about all that's happening, but they see something in Jesus. Something that Sinclair Ferguson calls a frightening determination. And in that frightening determination, what you see is that Jesus is in control. He knows why he was born. He knows what he must do to accomplish it. And he's determined, but he's in control. What happens to Jesus during the Passion Week is not something that he was not in control of. And you can see here the elements of his character. His role as prophet, his role as priest, his role as king and servant. Jesus Christ calls two of his disciples, look with me at 11.1, and he tells them, go into a village, or the village, in front of you, and immediately as you enter into it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. And this is a big deal. First of all, Jesus knows that the donkey is there. We don't know which two disciples he sends, but there's something significant here. Jesus could have had that donkey be anywhere. He could have passed that donkey along the road. But in God's way, 
of accomplishing the extraordinary means of redemption, he uses people like us, ordinary people to do things for his glory. These unnamed two disciples now move towards this village. I wonder what their conversation was like. Why does he want a donkey? Do you think the donkey will really be there? Well, he's never been wrong. Why do you think he wants a donkey? What if they don't let us take it? He told us what to say. Jesus is the prophet. He has told them what to expect. But he's also the prophet that is fulfilling prophecy. In Zechariah 9.9, you hear this verse. 500 years prior to Christ's incarnation. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey. Jesus, as he's coming to Jerusalem, as he's coming to this place where he is going to be the atonement, is in control. He knows he must fulfill this prophecy, and in order to do that, there's a donkey that has been born for this reason. Mark makes careful to mention that this cult had never been ridden. No one had ever set up on it. The reason that's significant is because any animal used for ceremonial purposes could never have labored in any way. The first person to set on this donkey is the one who made the donkey. It's Jesus. And Jesus and his perfect wisdom, perfect knowledge knows the donkey's there. These two unnamed individuals find the donkey. And the conversation that Jesus said might take place, it takes place. And these men in their obedience having gone now say the very things Jesus told them to say and they're released. Friends, that's, it's that simple. Just be obedient to the things that God's called you to do, wherever he's called you to work, or play, or shop. Be obedient to make known his name. They untie the colt, the people let them go. One of them is bringing it back to Jesus. There's no way they knew what was gonna happen. When the colt returns with them to Jesus, they begin to take off their garments and place them over the donkey. Jesus then sits on the donkey. This is the first time he has ever drawn attention to himself. What he's doing is showing them that he really is the king. This is how kings would enter, not ordinarily on a donkey, but on a massive beast, usually white signifying power, but this is a different kind of king. This is a different man. This king is humble, and he sits on the donkey. And then these type of branches, children, look at these beautiful flowers. You can see them waving. These palm branches were beginning to be waved, and people would put them on the ground. And as Jesus rides on this donkey, whose hooves are stepping on cloaks, and on other garments and on palm branches, the people begin to shout, Hosanna, which means save us, rescue us now. They believe he's the political king that's gonna set them free 
He's much greater than that. Hosanna, save us, rescue us now. Jesus rides. As he rides towards Jerusalem, 300 feet above, it's a very steep decline, right into that city. Luke tells us what's happening with Jesus. And I don't want you to miss this. Just listen. From Luke 19. And when Jesus drew near, riding on the donkey, and saw the city, he wept. He wept over the city, saying, Would you, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. That's a prophecy by the prophet who's fulfilling prophecy in this moment and proclaiming it, and it came true. That prophet is the king riding on the donkey. That king, that prophet is on the donkey moving towards the place where he will become the cosmic ransom, the once and for all sacrifice, the atonement. Imagine what all Jesus hears. He hears a crowd shouting, Hosanna, save us, rescue us now, over and over. But he also hears lambs. There were hundreds of thousands of lambs brought to be sacrificed for the Passover, but he's the one true lamb of God, and he's weeping. He's weeping. A few days later, that crowd's gonna shout something else. And it's not gonna be save us. It's gonna be kill him. Crucify him. That's the story of the passion of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All of it was necessary. And that's why Jesus, in the garden, asked his disciples to pray for him. It's when he said, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. He was sweating blood. Friends, when you feel overwhelmed, it's likely because you are. You're buried underneath a huge mass. You're experiencing too much of something. You've been defeated soundly. But your Savior Jesus understands what that means. And so does your Father. From that state of being overwhelmed, Jesus prayed to the Father, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet, not my will be done, but yours. And it was the Father's will for the Son to die to pay that cosmic ransom. Jesus Christ, we know, and we'll celebrate next week and throughout this week, overwhelmed death. He buried it. He crushed it. 
He defeated it. Death received too much of him. But we must not miss the cost of this ransom. It was for you. It was for God's people that we could live forever. That's why the song that the choir sang just before I stepped into the pulpit is so powerful. When I survey, God gives us moments like this to survey, to remember again, to reflect upon where we are in the Lord and with the Lord. All of us have moments in our life where God in his grace wakes us up, reminds us of the beauty and the scandal of the cross, reminds us of the joy and the brokenness. But let me use a better word than brokenness, evil. This cosmic evil required a cosmic ransom. You feel the effects of it. Only Jesus could be the ransom and die for it. And he has. Friends, trust these words, his words, and rest in Jesus alone for salvation. If you've never, ever trusted Jesus, then today might be the day when that takes place. If you've trusted him in the past, you are his already. But maybe he's seeking to renew that sense of your need for him in your life. He is present. And it's a transforming presence. It's everything you need. If today you long to make sure you're in Christ and saved, as I close this in prayer, simply ask Jesus to save you, to rescue you, to forgive you of your sins. And he will. His death was for you. But don't leave without telling someone. Tell the person you came with or a person that's near you that you trust, has trusted Jesus, or come down and see Matt or myself. We would love to help you begin that journey. And if today you just are in a place that's very dry, very weary, I've got good news for you. Jesus loves to enter into that with arms wide open. Don't wait until you get better. You'll never come. Come as you are. Come as you are. Let's pray. Father, you alone are worthy to receive glory, laud, and honor. The words that we sing to you and pray and the words that are preached from your holy word, they have life in them because you are life. Holy Spirit, illuminate our hearts even now. Keep us present just a bit longer. And would you cause us this week to meditate deeply on what we have seen and heard. And for your glory's sake, Jesus, our King, transform us once again by your resurrection power. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen.